This morning I would invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15 this morning. Genesis 15 verse number 1 says, After these things, after what things? Let me, let me remind us of these things from the preceding chapters in Genesis. It was in Genesis 12 that God called Abram to leave his homeland in Ur, the Chaldeans, and journey to a promised land that God would show him. The Bible tells us that Abram went, as the Lord spoke to him, all the way to, to the land of Canaan, to the city called Bethel, which means house of God. And there, Abram worshipped God. Unfortunately, Abram fled from that place because of famine, and then he failed in faith because of fear when he leaned on his own understanding. He didn't trust the Lord with all of his heart, but rather he lied to the Pharaoh about the identity of his wife, Sarah. So that in Genesis 12, the first chapter in Abram's life, he began in faith, but he finished in failure. After these things... Genesis 13, in Genesis 13, Abram and Lot separated because of a dispute between their herdsmen. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain of Jordan near Sodom. The Bible says that Lot chose that land because it was like the land of Egypt, but that choice would bring devastation and destruction to Lot's family. While on the other hand, God had Abram lift up his eyes and showed Abram the land that would be an an eternal inheritance for, for Abram and all of his descendants. And in Genesis 13, the second chapter in Abram's life, he finished in faith. After these things, Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, there was political unrest that digressed into a world war when the coalition of the four kings of the east moved against the five kings of the west. Sodom was overrun. Lot became a prisoner of war. At that same time in Genesis 14, Abram was at peace because he was dwelling at a place called Hebron. Hebron meaning fellowship. And there, while the world was in turmoil, Abram was right where God wanted him to be. Abram then rescued Lot and exercised faith in honoring the priestly king Melchizedek while rejecting the offers from the king of Sodom. After these things, in Genesis 15, verse number one, after these things, we come to a portion of Scripture that is really a high water mark in all of the Old Testament, certainly a most important chapter in the life of Abram, for it is here before us in Genesis 15, verse number six, that we are told that Abram's faith was accounted to him for righteousness. The promise of faith. This morning from Genesis 15, Abram and the promise of faith. Let me pray. God in heaven, we come now to your holy word. We open it to read it, to study it, to be taught from it by your Holy Spirit. And God, as we continue our biographical study of the patriarch of faith, Abram, I pray that you would teach us and change us Lord, help us to understand the promise of faith is the credit of righteousness as was the case in the life of Abram. So God, we pray that you would remove distraction from this place, that you would arrest our attention and capture our affection 
so that we might be different because of our study now. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 15, verse number one, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. God made a promise to Abram, a pledge to Abram when Abram was afraid. And God's promise was to be for Abram in the future what God had been for Abram in the past, namely his shield and reward. How was God Abram's shield in the past? Well, God protected Abram after he lied to the Pharaoh in Egypt about his wife's identity. How was God Abram's shield in the past? God protected Abram from pitching his tent too close to Sodom and becoming entrapped in the corruption that that uh, Lot endured in the city of Sodom. God was Abram's shield in the past when God protected Abram from the kings of the east and the destruction that was caused on the kings of the west. God protected Abram from, from the king of Sodom by sending Melchizedek to be his shield. God was Abram's shield. How was God Abram's reward in the past? God rewarded Abram with material wealth so great that there was hardly room for all the flocks and all the herdsmen of, of, of Lot in, in Abram. God rewarded Abram with spiritual privilege of direct revelation and divine fellowship and covenant promises. God had been Abram's shield and reward and God is our shield and reward today but sometimes it's not enough. It's not enough that God is our shield and reward. Sometimes we want something more and for Abram it was a son. God had promised Abram a son, but Abram had not yet realized that promise, and God had pledged Abram that a great nation would come from his loins, but where was the fulfillment of that promise? And so in verse number one, Genesis 15, verse number one, Abram was afraid. He was fearful that he would not be able to have a son to perpetuate the family name and to fulfill God's promise. Look at verse two, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Abram needed a biological son to build a family and to make a great nation, as God promised. And he was afraid. He was fearful that the promises of God would not come to fruition. And so as I've written there at the top of your notes, at issue in Genesis 15 is whether or not Abram can trust and whether or not God can be trusted after all of these things, you see. And folks, there is a reality in the life of believers, both in Abraham's day and in our day today, in which we say that we believe, we have faith, we trust God and his word, but there's always a part of us that doubts or fears, we're afraid because we haven't experienced all of God's promises just yet. It's in Second Peter 3 that uh, we're warned of the doubts and the fears of, of asking a question like this, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And, and perhaps you've privately thought that. What if this is all a hoax? What if the Christian faith is a sham? And the answer to our fears is faith in the promises of God. Peter reassures his readers, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. 
It's in Hebrews 11, the, the hall of faith, where we read of the great men and the women of the Old Testament. The Bible says that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but were assured of them, uh, having seen them afar off, and they were assured of them. And so we look forward to the promises of God, even though we aren't there yet. And so in the meantime, God, as he spoke to Abram, is speaking to us, and he wants us to be satisfied with his person. He is our shield. He is our reward. And Abram's fear was that God's promises to him would not be fulfilled. So God spoke, revealing his plan to Abram in verse number four. Look there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. I call this, number one, the building of Abram's family. The building of Abram's family. And God revealed and reaffirmed that Abram's family would be built not from those born in Abram's house, like Eliezer of Damascus, just one of the servant boys, but one who came from Abram's seed, I'm indebted to Bible commentator John Phillips for these subpoints. He he puts it this way Abram's family would be built first by the word of God's promise, by the word of God's promise. And I want you to look at both verse 1 and verse number 4 and find it there. We read of the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord in verses one and four, and I'm so glad for the word of the Lord, for the word of God. It's by God's word that the worlds were created. It's by God's word that the prophets spoke, thus saith the Lord. It is God's word in which is now quick and powerful. It's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And when God gives you his word, you can bank on it. It was the legendary missionary to Africa, David Livingston, who said of his own promises, he says, it is the word of a gentleman of the strictest and most sacred honor. And that's the end of it. This is the word of God. His promises are sure. And that's the end of it. Abram, your family will not be built upon others born in your household, but rather one who comes from your own seed. Verse number five, then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able, Abram, to number them. And he said to him, God said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. Abram's family would be built by the word of God's promise, secondly, as a witness to God's creation, as a witness to God's creation. Now, men used to think that they could count the stars. We now realize that counting the stars is like measuring the sands on all of the seashores of the, of the world. It can't be done. This week, I read that there were there are an average of 100 billion to 100 trillion stars in each galaxy. There are about 100 billion to 1 trillion galaxies in the known universe. And if you multiply those numbers together, you get somewhere between 10 to the 22nd power or 10 to the 24th power of stars in the universe. It looks like this. It's similar to our national debt, you see, right? (laughs) If you are able, God says to Abram, if you are able to count the stars in the heaven, so shall your descendants be. And God's promise to Abram was as great as counting the heavenly bodies. 
And certainly as we are witnesses to God's creative power in the universe, so also God has populated the nation of Israel over the course of millennia. Peoples have come and gone. Kingdoms have risen and fallen. But the Hebrew people endure and remain. So that in verse number six, the Bible says that Abram believed God and it was accredited to him, counted to him for righteousness. Folks, Genesis 15, verse number six, is so significant that the Apostle Paul would cite it in Romans chapter four, verse three, when making the case that eternal salvation has always been a matter of faith. Men have always, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, even today, have always and will always be saved by God's grace through faith. Abram believed God. Now, initially, it appears to us that the credit, crediting of righteousness to Abram follows Genesis 15, verse 5, sequentially. That it was Abram's faith in this iteration of the promise is what was credited to Abram for righteousness. However, don't forget that Hebrews 11, verse 8, tells us that Abram left Ur by faith. That was back in Genesis 12. After all of these things is where we're at now in Genesis 15. Back in Genesis 12, Abram believed God as well. So what then was the point of faith? Or when did God credit Abram with righteousness because of his faith? Was it because Abram believed God back in Genesis 12? Or is it here now in Genesis 15, verse number six? or, Or perhaps somewhere in between, of course. I believe Martin Luther's answer is good. Luther explains that Abram's faith is not mentioned until now in order to emphasize the fact that a saving faith is one that focuses on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Follow me, or follow Martin Luther. Here now, Abram's faith is focused specifically upon the promise of a son through whom Blessing would come to the whole world by Jesus. Now we pause and we say, yeah, but did Abram have any idea that this covenant promise of a son to Abram would eventually lead to the seed, the Messiah? Well, it was in John 8, verse 56, that Jesus said this, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad folks somehow in some way God graced Abram with the revelation to understand that his covenant promise to Abraham would extend to the birth of the Hebrew Messiah Jesus folks I would submit to you that Christmas is embedded right here in Genesis 15 And the promise of Christmas was given to Abram. And Abram believed God's promise. Not just in seed for his immediate household, but in the promised Messiah. In Genesis 15, verse number six, I think here serves then as a summary conclusion to Abraham's response or Abram's response to God's promises establishes Abram's position as a believer to whom God had imputed righteousness. That is the promise of faith. That if you believe 
it is credited to you for righteousness. And Paul would affirm this in Romans 4. What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abram was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Folks, I would say to you this morning that if you are here today trying to earn God's favor by your good works, by your own righteousness, you are not and you cannot be saved in that way. I would declare to you that it is rather by faith alone in Christ's righteousness that Christ's righteousness is imputed, imputed to us. Abram believed God. It was credited to him for righteousness. And as we believe It's accounted to us also for righteousness. Look at verse number seven. Then he said to him, that is God said to Abram, verse number seven, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Abram's family would be built, let us see, through the the working of God's power. Through the working of God's power. And just as Abram's journey from Ur the Chaldeans to Canaan was the working of God's power, and just as Abram's victory over the kings of the east was the working of God's power, so also here now, again, the building of Abram's family would be the working of God's power. Number two, the basis of Abram's faith. The basis. And the basis of Abram's faith was the covenant promises of God that were confirmed by sacrifice, by sacrifice. Look at verses eight through 12. Let's read again what what happened here, verse number eight. And he said, Abram said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So God says to Abram, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the, the middle and placed each piece opposite the other but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Okay, help me out here. What in the world is going on in this case? What what does all of this mean? And I would answer that oaths, And vows and covenants have been confirmed in different ways in different places around the world throughout history. For example, today, if you are in elementary school today, you might demand of another's promise, cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye, right? What is that? That's elementary school. There's even hand motions, I think, that that accompany that. If you are in court today, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, while placing your hand on a Bible. If you're in the office of a notary public, you may be asked to confirm your oath by raising your right hand. In Muslim lands today, an oath is confirmed by referencing the beard of the prophet. But James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, explains this, and and it's on the, the back of your notes there, also there on the screen. He says this, in Abram's day, an oath was confirmed by a ceremony in which animals were cut into two parts along the backbone and placed in two rows. 
the rows facing each other across a space marked off between them. This is what we're reading in, in, in the text. The parties to the oath walked together in the space between the parts and spoke their promises there. The oath was especially sacred because of the shed blood and the violation of it was considered a great dishonor. In this case, God himself walks through the sacrifice alone by himself. Abram was in a deep sleep, verse number 12. And that signified the unilateral nature of the covenant. It wasn't dependent upon Abram's faithfulness, but really upon God's faithfulness alone. And the descriptive details here in verses 17 and 18, if you're looking there, they symbolize the presence of God in in, in the picture of the smoking oven. It's used to purify metals and the burning torch was a symbol of God's promise. In fact, verse 17, and it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. But why all of this drama and and I might suggest two reasons, reasons to the solemn ceremony. First, the covenant ceremony was important because the basis of our faith and the covenant promises of God is grounded in sacrifice. The new covenant was established by the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, this covenant ceremony was, was necessary because of the oppression that lay ahead for the seed of Abram as described in verses 13 and 14. I haven't read those just yet, but that oppression would cause one to question God's promises and be fearful regarding God's promises. And anytime we suffer, we question the promises of God. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. I'll call this, number three, the blessings of Abram's future. The blessings of Abram's future. And you say, but wait, Pastor, I, I'm confused. This doesn't sound like blessing, but, but hear me out. The word afflict or mistreated at the end of verse 13 in your English Bibles is the same word that's used later in Exodus 1 to describe Egypt's oppression of Israel. Later in Moses' day, Abram's descendants, the Hebrews, would be in Egypt. And there in Egypt, they could count the years and know when 400 years had elapsed from the time of Jacob's entry into that that country of Egypt. And because of the covenant promises here with God toward, toward Abram, those Hebrews in Egypt would know that God would deliver them from slavery. You see, Abram's descendants could be sure of God's redemption of them. But here's the thorny problem for us. The the problem is, how can we consider the promises of God a blessing when we experience suffering in the meantime? Let me offer this. First, God's permissive will for, for Abram. Somehow, in God's sovereignty, God would permit the Hebrew people to be enslaved in Egypt. And somehow, in God's sovereignty, he permits us to suffer as well. And our, our question is why? I don't know why. 
because God's ways are not always our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and he accomplishes his purpose in his own way, in his own time, for his own glory. So God permitted or allowed the descendants of Abram to suffer, but there's more, verse 15. Now as for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. You say again, but pastor, how is this a a blessing for Abram? God's will was for Israel to be enslaved in Egypt. God's will was that Abram die. This is letter B, God's personal will for Abram. God's personal will for Abram was physical death, yet God told Abram he would die in peace at a good old age. I would like to die in peace at a, at a good old age. And in fact, I will. I may not be a good old age, but I will die in peace because I have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 16, verse 16, but in the fourth generation, They shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I I might suggest this, God's preordained will for Abram. And and these are human categories, these subpoints. So understand what what they are, but but God had preordained that that the the history that would transpire would occur in this way. And, And men rise and fall and fight and build, yet God has it all figured out. And some of God's preordained purpose was revealed here in verse 16. The fulfillment of the promises to Abram required retributive judgment on on the, the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. And God was waiting for the sins of the Amorites to be full before he would judge them at the hand of Joshua, which would come which which would occur, of course, years later. Verse 17. And it came to pass. When the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven, a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. If we want to argue over the parameters, the geography of the Hebrew people, Israel, and the land today, here's the boundaries. And then he cites the, the land of the Kenites, the, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaim, the Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. I, I'll call this God's promise for Abram. And God repeated the promise of the land for Abram. But there's one thing that's unique here about the language in verse number 18. Up to this point, God has said to Abram, I will give, I will give, I will give. But look what he says in verse 18. He says to your descendants, I have given. You see, God's God's promises are a done deal. You say, okay, pastor, what's the takeaway today? Let me me leave you with three points of summary and application. These are in the back of your notes there. Some space to capture these things. I I began my message in in Genesis 15, verse number one, after these things. That's what the, the text says. That time stamp after chapter 12, 13, and 14, after these things, number one, I would suggest that Abram's faith was strengthened, number one, after the experience of success. 
Abram had fellowship with God back in chapter 13, verse 18. Abram experienced victory over the kings of the east in chapter 14, verse 15. Abram met with Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, and I submit that Abram's faith was strengthened by those events after these successes. And I would say to you this morning to look back on the works of God in your life and let those things strengthen your faith. Who is God and what has he done in the past to give you courage to trust him in the future? He's been your shield. He's been your reward in the past. He has promised to be the same in the future. So look back at the the successes and the victories. However, in spite of that, there's always the nagging doubt or fear. So number two, Abram's faith was strengthened by repeated revelation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and and we need to repeat and rehearse and review God's revelation to us. And unless your faith is superior to Abram's, you need reassurances. I know that I do. I need to hear God's promises again and again and again. I need reminders of God's character again and again and again. I need to rehearse the words and the word of God. That's how I am built up in the faith. Number three, Abram's faith was strengthened in preparation for distress and death. Abram's descendants would face trouble in Egypt. Abram would face death. And folks, we are no different. In fact, Jesus warned his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. And so we need to prepare ourselves for the times of trial and trouble. But Jesus went on to say, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So what do we do as we face trial and tribulation, we, we stand on the promises of God. But ultimately, I know the blanks are complete, but there's some white space there. There's one more, one more critically important thought. It's not on the screen, it's not in your notes. When we think of the promise of faith, the promise of faith is the credit of righteousness. And I would offer you this in Romans 4, verse number five, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Big takeaway from this chapter in the life biography of Abram is that righteousness is the promise of faith. And as you trust in the promises of God, namely the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin and everlasting life that we have through him. God will credit your account with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the way it was back in Abram's day and it's the way it is today. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, thank you so much for this Bible record of Abram's faith. He believed your promises and you credited it to him for righteousness. God, there may be one here this morning who is not yet called on the name of the Lord in faith, believing. I pray that by your grace you'd grant them the faith to believe and that you would credit their account with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, forgiving their sin and saving them. God, there are many, many that are under the sound of my voice this morning who, who have trusted your promises but battle doubt and fear. God, the answer to our fear is is faith in your promises. I pray that you would strengthen our faith. We ask you for this in Jesus' name.
Amen.